Today's first scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 21. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. And our second scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 2, starting with verse 39. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of the Lord God was upon him. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when Jesus was twelve years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in their group of travelers, they went a full day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come Holy Spirit. Grant us your wisdom today as we seek in these words the pattern and the shape for a faithful life. Lead us forward in your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you probably know the story of King Solomon in the Bible, right? How he became the, the greatest and mightiest king of Israel. Israel at its peak of, of economic, of military power was under the reign of King Solomon. But an important thing happened when the young King Solomon was about to become king. He stops, the Bible reports, and prays to God. And he asks for only one thing, the gift of wisdom. Not fame, 
Not power, not riches. But he starts by asking for wisdom. And all those other things came through the gift that God gives of wisdom. Wisdom starts from a place of humility. Wisdom for Christians starts with the Bible. Now, sometimes we look at it and think it's just some old book, right? What, What could all these old words really mean for us today? According to a a recent study by the the Pew uh, Foundation, our youngest generation of Americans are also the most distrustful. Uh, The youngest Americans are most likely to say they don't trust the government, they don't trust institutions, and they're the most likely to say they don't trust the church. The youngest generation of Americans are also the most likely to consider themselves atheists. A full 16% of the youngest generation in America right now says they do not believe in God. That's about three times higher than than the rest of the population, by the way. Many in the modern world have been taught that we need to seek wisdom not through the Bible, but through science. Science. And science is a way of viewing the world through the scientific method, right? You learn to measure things, you learn to count things, and then you tally things up. And if the math bears it out, then something is true. And somewhere along the line, we've come up with this untrue idea that science and faith are opposites. And then we've come up, once we make that assumption, with the idea that that faith and knowledge are somehow separated. But I don't want that kind of faith. I never want to worship in a church that would tell me to turn off my brain. That would say something like, don't think, just believe. But we in the church have a bad history, don't we? Back in 1633 is where it all went wrong. Just as science was kind of being born and the Enlightenment was opening people's minds, the church stepped in. When Galileo wanted to prove that Copernicus was right, that the earth was not the center of the universe, but that in fact we were on a planet traveling around the sun. Well, Galileo looked through his telescope, made some measurements, and declared that we were not the center of the universe, and the church officials of his day were outraged. They believed he was teaching something that contradicted the Holy Scriptures. And here's a quote from Father Cassini, one of the Vatican officials of his time. He declared, "'Geometry is the devil.'" Now, I remember geometry in 10th grade, and I agree with that sentiment just a bit. (laughs) But the Vatican placed Galileo under house arrest from that day forward until his death. 
and the printing and the reading of Galileo's books was banned all across Europe. And the rift between science and faith was born. And somehow this seed of an idea that faith and knowledge are somehow separate was born. And it took us 359 years to apologize for that mistake. It wasn't until 1992 that Pope John Paul II issued an apology and a forgiveness of Galileo. There's a modern astrophysicist by the name of Robert Jastrow, and he was writing about the Big Bang Theory. And I want to read you a paragraph from the end of his book, God and the Astronomers. He wrote this. At this moment in time, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. The scientist has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over from the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Jastrow writes that in the end, faith and science lead us to a very similar place. Wisdom can be found in both. That's not something we say very often in the modern world, but I want to introduce you to a, a very unique individual. Uh, this is the cover of his book. It's kind of a cheesy picture. But uh, here's his title, and this is important. This is the Reverend Dr. Sir John Polkinghorne. I had the opportunity to, to meet Reverend Dr. Sir Polkinghorne. Uh, he was teaching at Notre Dame when I was in college, and I was there for a summer program. And he and I sat down over lunch one day, and he remarked how good the soup was. So I went up to the soup bar and got a bowl of soup and ate some soup with him. I remember that distinctly because it felt like the most British thing to do. But Dr. Polkinghorne likes to keep his credentials in that order. Reverend Dr. Sir. Uh, Dr. Polkinghorne started out life as a theoretical physicist, an award-winning theoretical physicist for about 20 years. And he said he comes, came to a point in his life where uh, he knew that his mathematical days were, were starting to be behind him, that he wasn't going to discover anything new in physics at about the age of 45. So he went back to school and became an Anglican priest. And later on, the queen recognized him as a knight of the British Empire, so hence you get Reverend Dr. Sir. And Dr. Polkinghorne compares being a scientist and a theologian together. He says that some people think it's like claiming to be a vegetarian butcher, right? But this man, beyond being knighted by the queen, is also a fellow of the Royal Society, which is the highest honor for a scientist in the British Empire. And he's also a recipient of the Templeton Prize, 
which is given out worldwide for leaders in spirituality. Probably the only person who's ever had both of those honors. Well, Dr. Polkinghorne says there are different levels of truth. And we need to understand which ones science can tell us about and which ones faith can tell us about. Well, I was thinking about this as we start the new school year here. We send our kids off on the bus in the morning hoping that they'll learn something, right? And sometimes going to school is about accumulating knowledge, right? Learning your times tables, your letters, your colors, learning geometry. But we hope when they go off that they'll find something more than just facts and figures. We hope that they'll be seeking wisdom. And wisdom is when knowledge gains some experience. So I wondered what it would look like for our kids to grow in wisdom this year. And as Christians, we we go back to the Bible and ask questions about wisdom. You end up in the book of Proverbs. So I thought it would be fun to share some Proverbs with you this morning. And this takes me back to my days in junior high, where uh, our Sunday school class was asked to lead a service in church, and we picked our way through Proverbs and found all the best ones. (laughs) There are some real gems in there. But they also encapsulate some wisdom. So in the spirit of my junior high self, here we go. One thing Proverbs points out is the wisdom of loving our families well. But it does it in some fun ways. Ready? Here's Proverbs 27:15. A nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. <laughs> or from chapter 21, better to live on the roof of your house than inside of it with an angry wife. Or better to live in the desert than with a contentious and fretful wife. But Proverbs teaches us that children are a blessing, that our family is a source of our strength. So this year, whatever shape your family might take, count those in your circle as a blessing. Make them a priority with your time and with your resources. And students, if you have a a brother or a sister, even when they're annoying to you, take care of each other, Watch out for each other. Proverbs also teaches us the wisdom of caring for our neighbors and friends. Here's a couple from uh, chapter 25. Ready? Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, otherwise your neighbor will become weary of you and hate you. Or this one, like a maniac who shoots a deadly flaming arrow, is the one who deceives the neighbor and then says, I am only joking. Or as Clark likes to say, JK, just kidding. So the question then, students, is how will you treat your friends at school this year? How will you speak to others and and treat them in the hallways and the other places, the, the cafeteria too? Ran across a great story this week. I want to show you a picture of Blake. 
Blake is a six-year-old who was headed off to the first grade in Atlanta, Georgia this year. His mom asked him what he wanted to wear on the first day of school, and she said, I can print you a t-shirt with anything you want on it. And this is the t-shirt that Blake decided he wanted to wear. I will be your friend. And Blake said he was worried that some other kids would be afraid of the first day of school because they wouldn't know if there would be anybody there that would be friendly to him. And Blake said, Mom, I want to wear this t-shirt on the first day so that every kid knows that I will be their friend. All right, some other wisdom for you students out there. Those who are getting up and getting on the bus before the sun comes up, this one's for you. Do not love sleep or else you will come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Or this one, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So the wisdom of Proverbs tells us to work hard, to to pour ourselves into whatever it is that we do, and that there will be reward for doing that. But oftentimes, we're, we're chasing after wealth, or money, or prestige. And Proverbs corrects for that too, teaching us that those things are not as important as we think they are. Here's Proverbs 16:8. Better is a little with righteousness than a large income with injustice. thinking about those trade-offs that we make when we pursue wealth. And I was watching the movie Moneyball this week. That's Brad Pitt. He plays the character of Billy Bean, who was the manager of the Oakland A's back in the early 2000s. And at the end of the movie, there was a scene that I had forgotten. But right at the end of the movie, Billy Bean is courted by the Boston Red Sox. And they slide a piece of paper across the table to him with a number written on it. And later in the movie, you get to see that that number was over $12 million. Would have made Billy Bean the highest paid general manager in the history of all sports. But here's the quote I had forgotten. He turns that job offer down primarily because he wants to stay close to his young daughter. And he says this, I made the worst decision in my life based on money, and I swore I would never do it again. Finally, Proverbs teaches us that wisdom is about humility. The wisest among us know what we don't no. There's an effect that's being studied by uh, sociologists now. The, they give it the popular tagline, the Lake Wobegon effect. You know where the children are all above average in, in the old Prairie Home Companion? In the scientific liter- literature, it's listed as the Kruger-Dunning effect. And it basically goes like this. The less talented or less skilled a person is in a particular area, the more likely they are to overestimate their own abilities. 
But for us to have wisdom, we must start with humility. Humility like Solomon had. To know what it is we do not know. And finally, Proverbs tells us that wisdom will lead to righteousness. And I hope that's the lesson from this morning. That wisdom, learning of any sort, is actually a spiritual discipline. No matter what it is, the topic that you study, whatever textbook there might be in these backpacks, to study and learn about the world around us is to learn about its creator. And if we pursue anything with passion and with humility, it is a way that we can grow closer to God. When they found Jesus in the temple, he says to his mother, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house, sitting among the teachers? That the place of worship and the place of learning were one and the same. Learning and loving God are one and the same. Whatever your favorite topic, if it's a subject because you're still in school, if it's a a project that you're working on as an adult, if it's some new pursuit, pursue it with passion. And remember this, in order to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, that learning and loving God are not separate pursuits. Faith and science are not separate topics. But if these things are done to honor God, then they are a form of loving God. May God bless all our students, our teachers, and our learners of every sort. Amen.